Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. As the story goes, there was a husband and he was reading a newspaper. And one day he looked at his wife and he said, Honey, there's an article in here that says that a woman speaks 30,000 words per day while a man only speaks 15,000 words. The wife replied, well, sweetie, the reason is, is because a woman has to say everything twice. The husband looked up from reading his newspaper and said, what? Isn't that true? So this morning we're going... And continuing on our marriage series called The Making of a Marriage. And today, if you're taking note, which I highly encourage you to do, and you go, why is that? And I say, because you only remember 10% of what I say. And by the time you get to Rosa's, you've already forgotten. So take notes. And here's what we're learning. We're going to learn the process, guys, of friendship and trust in a marriage, which actually applies to our walks with God, too. And we're also going to touch a little bit on the deep intimacy that happens between two people. Okay, so we're going to learn. It's a learning process. Now, remember where we left off last week, okay? The book of Genesis in the 24th verse of chapter 2 gives us really one verse that really speaks volumes when it comes to marriage. There are several topics that we pulled out. We unpacked it so much. Now, labor with me for just a minute, okay? Because if you remember our autocorrect series, we don't want to take a verse out of context and make it say what we want to say. We need some background. We need to, we need to see what it was, what, it, what it's all about. Well, in chapter two, he starts off now, depends on, on who you believe. You know, it's, it, the, the, um, authorship is credited to Moses that Moses wrote this. Of course, he wrote the Pentateuch, but Adam could have written this down and, and so forth and whatever, whoever it is. But he writes off and he says, listen, I want to give you the history of the heavens and the earth. And so he's just kind of giving us a brief history and we're not sure who actually wrote it. I wasn't there. So, you know, my Bible says Moses and you could believe Adam or Moses and so forth. It's either one of them. Then over in verse 7, as we continue the history of the world, he says, And the Lord God formed who? He formed man from the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Now, what happens? There was, God created everything, says, okay, now I got some dirt. And I'm going to make man out of this dirt. And, and I think it's very interesting because there's some stuff that we can learn from this. And you go, what's that? That we're just come from dirt. That's who we are. And, and, and listen, when sometimes when we get prideful, remember, you're just a, you're just a bunch of clay. That's all you are. You're just dirt. It's God who makes you who you're supposed to be, but you're just dirt, right? And I have a lot of dirt in my backyard and never has it stood up and say, Hey, look at me, right? Look what I've done. It's just dirt. This is what God does, guys. He, he said, listen, I'm going to take man and I'm going to form him from the dust of the ground. And then here's where it comes. He begins to breathe what? The breath of life into his nostrils and man became a living being. Now, here's something that just to keep in mind. Do you realize that Adam and Eve, right, were the only two people created that were spiritually alive? Okay, They were created, but they were spiritually alive. It wasn't until sin entered the world and fractured everything that they actually died spiritually. They didn't die physically right away. They died what? Spiritually. Now, we were born physically, right? Happy Mother's Day. But we actually are born 
spiritually dead. And that's why John, in John chapter 3, verse 3, he says, listen, that you guys need to be what? You need to be born again. That has to be, that has to happen. You have to have been born from above. I realize that you're born in the flesh. I realize that, but you need to be born from above. Now, something very interesting. Being born again means when you had an encounter with God and your heart has been transformed. Sometimes thinking being born again is just simply, you know, wearing the Christian t-shirt and attending church, and it has nothing to do with that. You had an encounter with the Lord Jesus, and now you are born from above. Everything has changed. Well, that's, uh, again, that's where Adam is. Adam is born alive. He's, wow, he sees how, he sees and feels what you and I feel. And so there he is. Right? And you go, well, what was Adam doing at this time? Well, remember the Lord gave him a job. Okay? He was supposed to name all the animals. And so he's sitting there going, hey, that looks like a bird. That, that long neck thing could be a giraffe. I think giraffe is good. And he's probably writing these down, right? He goes, hey, if it, if it looks like a duck and it quacks like a duck, I guess we should name it a duck. And so he's naming all these animals. But what he finds is he's going, listen, I kind of realized something, God, and what's that, Adam? There, you got all these animals, and this is cool, and, and I dig the monkeys and the dogs and all that stuff, but there's nothing that's close to me, nothing that looks like me. And I'm needing someone that looks like me, someone that I can relate to. And, and God looks at him and says, okay, Adam, I got a plan. Why don't you take a nap, and I've got some surgery to do. I've got some work to do, right? Because over in verse 22, it says this. Then the rib, which the Lord God had taken from men, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the men. So Adam goes to sleep, and out of his side, he takes a rib. Why is that important? Guys, because first and foremost, in marriage, your wife comes from your side. Not He didn't take, he didn't take a bone from the foot. We can step on them, and he didn't take something. He took it from the side. She's a helpmate. Okay, and so Adam wakes up and he's got a little pain right here, right? It's like, oh Lord, that sort of. And then what does he see? He goes, man, he he, what? He formed into a woman because he brought her out of a man. And I was reminded of the kid in Sunday school. It was a Sunday school class much like ours, and they were teaching how God created everything, including human beings. And little Johnny, a child in the kindergarten class, seemed especially intent when they told him how Eve was created out of one of Adam's ribs. He was just excited. Well, later on that week, his mother noticed him lying down as though he were ill, and he kept holding his side as if he had a pain. His mother asked him, Johnny, what's the matter? And Johnny said, I don't feel well. I think I'm having a wife. (laughs) Why? Because, again, he learned that the rib which the Lord God had taken from men, he had made into a woman. Well, in verse 23, it says, Then Adam, when he saw her, said, Va, 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 voom, wow. This is, you go, my, my translation doesn't say that. No, but, but here's why. Adam is, he's walking around going, that's a dog, that's a pig, that's a fish, whatever. You guys get the picture, right? But then he sees Eve and he starts, he starts singing. He starts quoting poetry. This, oh, look at her. That's flesh of my flesh and bone of my, who says that? When was the last time you went to your wife and say, hey, that's flesh of my flesh and bone of my bone? We don't say that anymore, but Adam sure did. 
Adam's like, wow, that's amazing. And you remember when you first saw your bride and you were like, whoa, way above my pay grade, but I'm going to try anyway. And that's what Adam was like. That's flesh of my flesh. And I'm going to call her what? I'm going to call her woman because she was taken out of men. If you're taking note, you remember the Hebrew word? It's, it's called isha, and it's similar to ish, ish being men, isha being woman, right? Because it was, she was taken from men, but it also means to be soft, right? I love that God created our women soft, soft skin, soft hearted, emotionally soft. I love that, but here's what I want to, I want to just share with you. It doesn't mean that the women are weak. As a matter of fact, they're exceptionally strong. You know, they um, give birth to children and they're strong and they carry a lot, but they're soft and they're not created like a man. And a man sees things and he just he sees them differently than a woman does. And I'm glad I read a story this week that said, how, what would it be like if you married you? What would it be like if you married yourself, you know, and the way you are and how rough you are and how, how stern you are and how stubborn some of you are, not me, but some of you are stubborn and, uh, and it would be silly, right? It would be silly. How would you even argue with yourself? Which one of you would be right all the time? And, uh, but that's what we love, that God created a woman and he created her soft. So men, listen to me. If your house is full of lotion, it's okay. That's how God created them. And you can use some of that, okay? That's, it's okay. But keep that in mind. So Adam says, wow, this is, that's, that's, that's my gal. That's woman. And then it comes to our verse for today. It says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now, let's, let's break this down, guys. If you're taking note, the first thing we see is the word therefore, right? And whenever we see a therefore, we need to see what it's there for, right? Well, he just told us what it's there for. He's just like, man, flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone. Wow, bada boom, bada bing, this is the one for me. I can't believe it. Why? Because my heart's going pitter-patter, 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 pitter-patter. Yes! And so therefore, what happens? I need to marry her. So it says, therefore, what? Number two, a man. What did we talk about? What was a man? Well, yeah, in the Hebrew rendering, it's male, but it also means a person that's mature in Christ. Maturity in Christ. And that can be, that can be connected to both male and female. A man and a woman, they both need to mature in Christ. And here's what happens. What happens is there's a lot of people who get married that are not mature in Christ, but eventually they, they are, their hearts are transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit, and they are now growing, and we call it progressive sanctification, being more and more what? Being more and more like Jesus every single day, and so they're maturing, and that happens to both men and women. And so you go, well, Ben, I've been married, you know, I've been married 20 years, and finally I'm having the Christian marriage that I should have. Well, it's progressive sanctification, okay? But it means mature in Christ, growing in Jesus. That's what happens. Well, what happens when, when all of a sudden, whether I'm looking, I know we got a lot of single gals here, I'm looking for someone that is going to be my my husband, I'm looking for my wife, what's going to happen? You have to mature in Christ first. 
You want to start off and have a successful marriage, that has to be, that has to be number one. Why? Listen, you have to be okay with you first in Christ before you'll ever think about taking care of anybody else. You have to go, Jesus in me, that's all I need. And then when God, when you, when you just feel so secure in that, man, you're able to, you're able to expand that love that he gives you. Okay, so you have maturity in Christ. Now, something happens when you grow. You go, what's that? The second point was transition, right? Why? Because, therefore, a man shall leave. That's transition. What are we leaving? Well, Captain Obvious tells us that we're leaving our father and mother. Yeah, I can't get, wait to get out of my house. Got married when I was 15 because I wanted to sleep. No, no, no. Here's what it means. It means to leave father and mother means to leave the dependency, their financial dependency. I'm not depending on them anymore to take care of me. Before, you used to think, well, mom and dad gave me an allowance and, and so forth, and, or, or mom, can I borrow the car? Dad, can I have 10 bucks? When you are ready to get married and you move into marriage, you say, okay, I'm, not, I, I'm going to provide for my family. I'm going to leave my father and mother, both financially, you guys with me? Not only financially, but spiritually. You are now going to be the spiritual leader of your house. You're not going to be dependent on them. You don't need mom and dad calling you up. So are you going to church? Where are you going to church? What's going on? How's it? You are now mature in Christ and you say, I need to leave mom and dad. The second thing we need to leave, guys, we talked about this, is that we need to leave our past behind. We need to leave our past behind. Okay? And that works out both in our walks with God and marriage. How so? Let me say this to you right now. Jot this down. Don't bring up the past in marriage. Don't bring up the past in marriage. That's done. That's over with. There's not a one of us that says, I want to go back and fix that. We can't. The past is the past, but the enemy will bring it up in your Christian walk. And when you're sitting here trying to follow Jesus, guess what happens? The enemy comes up and says, hey, remember when you used to... Remember when you used to dance on the table with the lampshade on and everybody thought you were funny? Remember when you were crazy? Remember when you did all this crazy? And you're like, yeah, I remember. What is he trying to do? He's trying to get you to be a prisoner of your past. And you know what you tell him? That's not me anymore. That's not me anymore. That dude died. When you gave my life to Jesus, that person died. The past has to go away. And the same thing with marriage, guys, we don't bring up the past. Well, who was that? And where was that boyfriend? And who is he? And what did he do? And what happens is that current just, it just, guys, that just stirs up all kinds of stuff. And, and, and that's what we're called to do. We're called to transition, to leave what? To leave the past behind us. Too many people use that as a weapon in marriage, your past. Well, we're called to transition. I'm mature in Christ. I'm going to leave the past behind me. Well, what else am I called to leave? Well, remember we talked about social media, right? Social, the, the, the perfect Pinterest marriage. You need to leave that behind. There's no such thing, right? You see all your friends and they post on Pinterest or Instagram or whatever, and you're like, oh my gosh, that's like the perfect, oh, I can't believe this, how come mine isn't that? And you start hitting your boyfriend and husband, you're like, look at you, look at, they have the perfect, how's it the perfect, that's Pinterest. We need to leave that social media. Guys, it's never the same. Are you guys, you guys with me? You know what I'm talking about? 
the other day, and it's funny because Talia sent me a recipe. She sent me a video recipe to make these egg white something or others, right? There was just, it looked so good. And instead of using bread, you can use these. And it looked phenomenal. So she sent me the video. Well, early one morning, I was having my quiet time, and I hear Natalie in the kitchen, and she was making these, whatever they're called. And they did not come out like the picture. Okay? They, they never do. I mean, it was like, wow, nailed it, huh? These didn't look anything. I mean, why? Because that's, it's Pinterest perfect. And take that and apply that to your marriage. Guys, reality is not, reality is not soap operas. Reality is not Pinterest or, or Snapchat. Your husband is who your husband is. Your wife is who your wife is. And that's who you guys are in Christ. You know, that other stuff is, is I mean, it's, it, how many filters does it go through before it hits, it hits the Internet? Be careful. And then we said, okay, so who are we leaving, church? We're leaving father and mother, okay? And we talked about family matters. And we talked about what leaving that family and starting a new family. And the Hebrew word for, for joined or cleave, if you're taking note, refers to the pursuing hard after someone else. So that means you're saying goodbye to mom and dad and you're pursuing hard after someone else or being glued or stuck to someone or something. And that's what it means. It means being joined, guys. It means when you take two pieces of paper and put, put super glue on it and then join it together, it's like, that's it. I'm joined, okay? This, I'm glued. I'm stuck, all right? And that's what, that's what that word cleaves. It says, you're going to say goodbye to mom and dad and I'm going to start a new family and now we're joined. We're stuck, right? And you're singing the Huey Lewis news, happy to be stuck with you because that's what that word means, happy to be stuck. Now, man, it doesn't mean you follow your wife all over the house, Right? You're just like, what are you doing? Nothing. Pastor said I have to be stuck to you. She's going she's to hit you in the head or something, you know? She's going to punch you in the nose. But here's the thing. The point is, is that you're going, to, you're going to be stuck with her. And she's going to be stuck with you. That's what the word means. Here's what it indicates. You ready? It indicates such closeness that there should be no closer relationship than that between two spouses not with any former friend or with any parent. That's what the word means. That means when you're mature enough in Christ to step out and be married, then you're saying goodbye to any former BFFs. They're not number one anymore. Or your parents, they're not your priority. Now, the Bible says that we still need to honor our mother and father. The word honor means hold them like in rare esteem. It's like when you have this fine jewel and you take care of it. But where's your new priority? Your new priority is you are cleaving to who? You are being stuck with your spouse. So this morning, as we close our marriage series with the last two topics, jot this down. We need to be joined to something. And he says, and he shall be joined to his wife. This is, church, the process of friendship and trust. The process of friendship and trust. That's what we need to learn. Number two, it says, and, the, and they, after they're joined to his wife, they shall become 
one flesh. What does that mean? Point number two is learning deep intimacy between two people. So we're going to learn friendship and trust and learn deep intimacy with between two people. Okay, so let's jump into our text. For the sake of our study, Genesis 2.24 says this, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined, glued to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Point number one, learning the process of friendship and trust. To who? To our wives. Now begins the process of learning. Everybody understands that, right? It doesn't come automatically. There has to be a process of becoming friends, a process of having amazing friendship. We've grown, we've matured, we transition, but now comes the learning. Learning what? Well, let's chat about friendship for just a moment, okay? Your spouse should be your best friend. You go, what does that mean? Well, a husband and a wife are people with whom you dare to be yourself, right? Friendship means freedom to be who you are. That's exactly to be who you are. Your soul, if you will, can be naked with them. They ask you to put nothing, put on nothing, only be what you are. Your spouse, your best friend should just be, be who you are. I don't want you to be anything other than who you are. Why? Well, they don't want you to be better. They don't want you to be worse. When you are with them, you feel like a prisoner feels who has just been declared innocent. You're like, yes. Here's why. You don't have to be on your guard. You can say what you think as long it is, it is genuinely you. When it comes to friendship, husbands, wives, understand those contradictions in your nature that lead others to misjudge you. With them, you breathe freely. They are lost, dissolved on the white ocean of their loyalty. They understand you. They like you. They are like the fire that purges to your bone. Here's what you do with your best friend. You can weep with them. You can sing with them. You can laugh with them. You can pray with them. Through it all and underneath, they see, they know, and they love you. That's what friendship is. That's what friendship is, guys. The word friendship conjures up thoughts of honesty, vulnerability, right? Isn't that true? Companionship and even mutual respect. It also implies certain outlaying of time and energy. As a matter of fact, C.S. Lewis said of friendship, quote, it is when we are doing things together that friendship springs up. Well, like what? Painting, sailing, praying, even fighting shoulder to shoulder. He says, friends always look in the same direction. It's friendship, guys. And it should always start out as friendship. It's the process of learning and trusting and feeling free. But see, it's a process of learning. We, uh, when, when I was young, I used to tell my dad, hey, I have friends. And he says, no, 
You have acquaintances, but your true friends are the ones who are going to stick with you thick and through thin. It's friendship. Well, that's a process. It was Glenn Stanton. He's an expert on marriage from Focus of the Family. He's a husband and father and five children, and he echoes this sentiment. He says this, that a weakened friendship in a marriage can lead to a spouse to seek intimacy in other places. When the luxury of being friends with one another takes a back seat, friendships that are deep and intimate can develop in other places, resulting in emotional and even physical adultery. It's important, church, it's important, it's important that you what? That you have, you have friendship. That you start off as friends. That you feel free. Why? Because according to Glenn Stanton, he says, when that weakened friendship, when you're weak in friendship and it takes a back seat and when you're not pouring into your spouse as friends, he says, that need is when other folks when other gals, when other spouses seek that from someone else. So it starts where, church? It starts with friendship, but it also, it leads us to trust, right? Friendship and trust go hand in hand. As a matter of fact, the story that I read, names have been changed, but it says Vicky sat at the table, stunned and hurt, her four-year-old marriage to Alex, on which she had pinned so many hopes and dreams, seemed false. She had just heard from a friend that Alex had been seen lunching with an old girlfriend. And when Vicky asked why he hadn't mentioned it to her, his reply was defensive. I knew you would freak out like you're doing right now. Alex couldn't see how that omission had undermined Vicky's trust in him, his character, and even their relationship. Guys, listen, friendship and trust, but trust is one of the most wonderful gifts in a loving marriage. And it's your ability to trust your mate. You need to trust that he will be true to you. You need to trust that. You need to trust that he will be true to you emotionally as well as physically. Sir, you need to trust that she does what she says she will do. Trust that he is the same person on the inside that he presents on the outside. Trust that she, is, she has your best interest in mind. Why? Well, this trust creates safety, security, and a deeper capacity to love. That's what trust does. Successful marriages are built on trust. You go, well, pastor, how, how do we get this? I mean, friendship and trust, how, how do we get this? So if you're taking notes, number one, let's just um, let's look at some virtues. Number one, you need to understand the nature of trust. That's the first thing. Well, how so? Well, one of the Old Testament words for trust is batach, and it has the meaning of careless. Think about it. When you trust your spouse, you feel so safe that you are actually what? You, that you feel careless or free from concern. You're not living carelessly. You feel, I don't have a care in the world. 
That's what trust means. I don't have a care in the world. I know he's going to take care of everything. I know she's going to say what she's going to say. That's what trust means in the Old Testament. Okay? Meaning you don't have to hide who you are or be self-protective. Church, listen, I know that in this life, listen, I know that there's been a lot of hurt in relationships. And for some reason, because of that hurt, the closer we get to someone, the more we seem to be self-protective. But trust happens when you say, okay, there needs to be friendship. There needs to be trust. I'm maturing in Christ. I'm not that guy I was 10 years ago. I'm not that guy I was 20 years ago. I'm growing. I'm growing. And now we have friendship and now we have trust. So we have to understand the nature of trust. It means that you just feel safe. And this goes for both men and women. Number two, be trustworthy. Be trustworthy. Trust isn't given unconditionally, right? What happens when you sit, when someone looks and says, hey, trust me. You're like, that's the last person I'm going to trust. No, just trust me. Why? Why? Because we don't give trust like that. We don't just hand our trust over to people. It has to be earned, right? It ha- you have to be trustworthy to receive trust. And that's when the Bible says, let your yes be yes and your no be no, because that's what you have to say when you're going to do something, you do it. When you say something, you're going to do it. And you build trust. And then when you ask your wife, trust me, then she trusts you. And that's the best place is when, when you know you've been trustworthy and she comes alongside under your arm where she's supposed to be and she says, I trust you. Oh, that's the greatest feeling. I think trust and respect men go along. It's along the same lines. And so again, you have to be trustworthy. And number three, he writes, put an end to deception. Why? Because truth and uh, trust and truth go hand in hand. And that's why deception of any sort is the biggest trust killer. He goes, well, what should we do? Be honest with your spouse. Telling the truth about where you were or whom you talked to or what you said or where you spent money. That's, he says, just be truthful. And men, it's being able to feel secure enough that you could hand your wife your phone and be like, look, this is who I'm talking to. This is, there's nothing, I, I completely trust me. You, here it is. But it's when we, it's when we, oh, what? You don't know my life and I don't know. And, and again, he says, this is what we got to do. We just got to be honest. We've got to be honest, guys. We've got to have friendship and trust. Friendship and trust. Just, have, just be honest. If you're married here today, you're in this together. Do you remember standing before the pastor, the priest, the judge, whatever, however you did that? You promised to God when? Till death do us part. So you're in this together. You're glued to each other. You're glued. You're not getting away. Single folks. Single folks. That's why it's so important, listen, that you make the right choice. Because it's, it's not, this is something that God, God takes very seriously. You're, he's going to glue you guys in his eyes together. He says, okay, you're not leaving till death do you part. Right? This is it. This is it. 
So I would tell you, choose wisely, grasshopper. Choose wisely. This is, this is forever. 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 You see, because the Word of God tells us that we should be what? There should be friendship and trust. Friendship and trust. Now, let's move into our last point, guys. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined, notice, and shall be joined to his wife, and they shall become what? One flesh. Point number two, let's talk about deep intimacy between two people. Why? Because the Bible just said they're going to become one flesh. I want you to note the process of developing, did you hear me? Deep intimacy in marriage. You have to develop that. It doesn't just come. Now, let me just give you a disclaimer, okay? Oftentimes when, we, when, when you talk about intimacy, a lot of people automatically go to sex, right? Now, let me say this about sex. Sex should be learned here in church, not from the world. If we're going to talk about sex in marriage, sex outside of marriage, it needs to be taught from the pulpit, not from where you're getting it from TV or the Internet or anything else. They distort it, church. They distort it. And here's the best place. The best place, obviously, is to talk about it in church. Single folks, the best place to talk about that is with your parents. Be open and honest. You need to talk about these things. But let's talk about intimacy, okay? Because the first thing, when you think of intimacy, our first automatically goes to sex, but it's more than that. Let me give you a definition of what intimacy means. It means knowing each other's strengths and weaknesses, being aware of each other's fears, hopes, and dreams. Can I just say that again? Guys, that's what intimacy is, is being able to go to your spouse in whatever case and go, you need to know my hopes and my dreams and my fears and not be ridiculed for that. Can you believe yeah, that? That's funny. You want, no, no. You, you, that's what intimacy means. You see, many of us defined intimacy in marriage as just sex. While certainly that is a valuable part of marriage relationship, a healthy Marriage has to have emotional intimacy and spiritual intimacy to go the distance. You got to have all of it. You got to have all of it. Right? We got to have what? We got to have physical intimacy. That has to be there. There has to be emotional. And then there has to be spiritual intimacy. So I started thinking, who best to give us advice on intimacy then the word of God himself, right? And who would that be? Well, Solomon actually gives us a great, great, awesome exhortation on intimacy. So let's say goodbye to Genesis. Let's turn over to the Song of Solomon. And for the rest of our time, we're going to talk about deep intimacy between two people. Okay? And as we turn there, keep this in mind, church. We're going to talk a little bit about physical intimacy emotional intimacy, and spiritual intimacy in the confines of marriage. Very, very important. And because of our relationship with God, guys, these are great applications for us in our walk too. You might be here going, I've already been married, I'm divorced, I'm widowed, whatever it might be. Take this as great application for your walk with God. Why? Because your relationship with God requires you to have intimacy with him too. It's a great relationship. Song of Solomon tells us that marriage is the right place to develop intimacy. Did you hear me, singles? Marriage is the right place to develop that intimacy. Outside of marriage, it can become very dangerous. 
Outside of marriage, it's very dangerous. Well, Ben, that's just culture. It's not culture. You can find yourself in a world of hurt. You've heard me use this illustration so many times. But a fire in a fireplace is beautiful. It warms the house. It illuminates everything. It's great. You take that same fire and put it on the carpet, and it brings destruction, doesn't it? It burns down the house. And so marriage is the place that we're going to seek. How? When we're mature, when we're growing in God, when we feel ready, when we've worked through these issues. And as we go through the Song of Solomon, guys, I want to share three points in developing intimacy with your spouse. A successful marriage is a selfless marriage. And a marriage itself is part of God's grand design for your humanity. So if you're taking notes, point number one, Solomon says, married couples still kiss. Do you see that? Look at Song of Solomon chapter 1, verse 2. The Shulamite woman says, Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine. Here's what I want you to note in this, guys. Here's what I want you to note. You notice with me that the wife here is free. Free to what, Ben? She's so free to express herself and express her love to her husband. You go, what do you mean? She's not ashamed. And she's not embarrassed. In her marriage, she feels free. There's, there should be freedom in your marriage. To what? Guys, to pursue one another. And notice what he says. She still makes it a point that, to kiss. You go, Ben, yeah, but, but people, we kiss in, we kiss in, no, no, no. It, it, it's more than just kissing in bed. What he's saying is, he's saying, listen, he makes it a point to kiss. Well, pastor, I kiss my wife. I go and I pat her on the head and, and, and I kiss her on the cheek. Listen, she's not your mom. Make it a point, make it a point to kiss your wife. Make it a point to kiss her goodbye. Make her a point to kiss her hello. That's a, it's a very easy thing to take for granted. Hey, baby, I love you. Peace out, home. Say, so, you know, walk out the door and, and you just, and she's the same way. You have to work. Why? Because the word of God says, if you want to develop intimacy, right? Intimacy that starts in the kitchen before it ever moves to the bedroom, it has to start with, listen, I want to, well, married couples still kiss. You guys with me? And there's an added bonus. Do you realize, really, get this, that you burn two calories by kissing? It promotes weight loss. Okay? Now, let me say this, okay? There's two points I want to bring out on this, okay? Kissing. Number one, number one, it doesn't mean that you guys make out in the middle of Walmart or Market Street on aisle five, okay? Well, pastor said, I need a kiss. Come here, baby, you know? And everybody's like, oh, yuck. That's not what it means, okay? So please, yeah, don't go to that Calvary church, man. It just means, guys, you, you take your relationship seriously and you kiss and you tell her how much you love her and you kiss her. That's the one thing. Number two, singles. It doesn't mean that you should do this. 
Okay? Why? Because there's something that happens to a boy he just can't kiss. Am I lying? And the boy says, oh, sweetie, I love you. He's kissing just a little bit and his hand keeps... Eventually, his hand stops moving and starts moving places it shouldn't go. The Bible tells us singles, look at me. The Bible says, do not stir up love before it's time. Do not stir up love. I know culture, I know the world is telling you, hey, try it, everybody's doing it. I'm telling you, that's not what God says. It says married couples still kick. The Shulamite woman and Solomon were married. And so singles, be very, 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 be very careful. Because then you find yourself in a place where you don't want to be. You'll hear a a boy tell you, if you love me, you will. And you know what you say? If you love me, you won't. If you love me, you'll wait. I know that's not, I know that's not the culture we live in, guys. I know that's not, I know that's not what you're learning in school. But I'm telling you, this is what God says. God says you need to be, don't awaken love before it's time. Don't awaken love. Number two. Well, number one, married couples still kiss. Number two, intimacy nurtures integrity. Intimacy nurtures integrity. What does that mean? Well, look at verse three. She says, because of the fragrance of your good ointments, your name is ointment poured forth. Therefore, the virgins love you. You know what it means? Jot this down. You still smell good. You still smell good and you dress nice. Why is that important? Because guys, let's be honest. Isn't that what we did while we were dating? My goodness, you went on a date and you put on, I mean, she smelled you coming two minutes before you got there. You know, it's like, how many squirts should I? Five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. I smell good, right? You dress good too. You actually matched. You had the nice little crease down there. You ironed your own pants. You said, okay, I'm going to impress this girl. It's our first date. I look good, right? You washed the car. You cleaned it out. You opened the door, and then you get married, and then you come in, and you're like, hey, baby, what's for dinner? I don't know. Uh, And you smell horrible. You don't take any time. Here, guys, listen, intimacy nurtures integrity. You still do these things. You do these things to continue to impress your bride. You buy clothes so that she likes the way you look. I always tell Nathalie, I'm buying new shoes. Why do you want new shoes? They're for you, baby. (laughs) You get to see me in these. Right, women? How many women like shoes? Who you buy the shoes for? You don't buy them for you, really. You buy them for somebody else because you can't see your feet when you're walking, really. But you go, hey, I bought these for you, sweetie. How do, how do you think I look in them? Husbands go, pretty good. Pretty good. He says, a good name. A godly character. Notice what she says. She says, your name is ointment. What is that? That's so important, guys, our name. Because she's saying that you have godly character. Intimacy. And we have a good... I don't have to go out and, and hear stuff about you. I don't have to go out and go, you know... Wow. Think about it, guys. She loves her husband... And he sure loves her. Why? Because there's integrity in the marriage. That's what intimacy does. It brings integrity. 
It brings integrity. Listen, on a physical level, on an emotional level, and on a spiritual level, that, guys, there's, there's no reason for us to look anywhere else. That fulfills us, and it brings integrity. And let me say one thing about spiritual, um, guys, spiritual intimacy. I think that's important. To be able to talk to your spouse about the word of God is amazing. And I get it, women. I get it. I know God is giving, I mean, you guys are so much smarter than us. But you don't, you don't, I mean, when, when we have spiritual conversations, you go, see, I knew that, and you should know. You don't do that. You just have a great intimacy. And I won't tell you how many times Nathalie challenges me, and we have these great talks about the Lord. We really do. And she'll come up to me. She goes, hey, I heard this sermon, and blah, 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 and what do you think? And we'll have this great conversation about God, but it, it connects us in a way, spiritually, that's amazing. You need to have that. There's spiritual intimacy just like there is physical intimacy. Single folks, you ready? Be the person you're wanting to attract. Be the person you're wanting to attract. You go, what does that mean, Pastor? If you want a godly man who prays and is trustworthy, be that godly woman who prays and is trustworthy. If you want a man who's going to take you to church and be the spiritual leader, be that woman first. If you want a woman who's godly, man, you've got to be godly. You've got to be godly. It's so important. Why? Well, the third part that we need to learn about intimacy is, here's what we need to do, man. You ready? Jot this down. He praises her insecurities away. What do you mean? Well, notice her insecurities, okay? In Song of Solomon 1, verse 5 and 6, she's writing, I am dark but lovely, O daughters of Jerusalem, like the tents of Kedar, like the curtains of Solomon. Do not look upon me because I am dark, because the sun has tanned me. My mother's sons are very angry with me. They made me a keeper of the vineyards, but my own vineyard I have not kept. Guess what she's saying? I'm a mess. She's not saying, listen, I went to the tanning salon. She's going, listen, I worked hard. The sun beat my face down. I don't look the way I want to look. And women, you can, you can understand, right? You know what it's like. You, you're just like, man, I just... She says this. She says, she says, they made me the keeper of other vineyards, but taking care of myself, I didn't take care of myself. She has a lot of insecurities. She's put on a little bit of weight. She's had some children. She hasn't, she's not that single gal that you used to, oh man, you, baby, why can't you look when you did when you were 19? Why don't you look? She's had some insecure, she's worked hard. She's raised kids, she's raised you. And what a lot of guys do is they destroy their marriages by focusing on her insecurities. Well, why can't you be like so-and-so's wife? She always looks nice. Not, not the godly man. What does he do? He praises her insecurities away. Look at verse 15. He says, Behold, you are fair, my love. Behold, you are fair. You have dove's eyes. And in verse 2 of chapter 2, he says, Like a lily among thorns. I love that. He says, You are so beautiful. I mean, in this world that's dark, you are just beautiful. So my love is among daughters. You know what he does? He says, Baby, you look great. 
You're amazing. Oh, sweetie, I think I put on some pounds. No, sweetie, you look wonderful. You look wonderful. And you know how I know he praises her insecurities away? Because she finds rest and assurance in him. In verse 3, she says of chapter 2, Like an apple tree among the trees of the woods, so my beloved is the sun's. I sat down in his shade with great delight, and his fruit was sweet to my... You know what she said? I sat down in his shade. I felt so comfortable with him. I know that I've gained some weight. I know that, that you know, some wrinkles have formed in my skin. I know that I don't look the way I used to when I was 20. And you know what I found? He just loved me anyway. I felt so secure. That's what she's saying. Our wives need to find rest and assurance in us. Why? Because we need to praise her insecurities away. How do I do that? How many of you know, how many of you know this, guys? How many of you know that we are supposed to say, I love you? Everybody goes, it's easy to say, I love you, right? We do that all the time. I love you, I love you, I love you. But I want you to add one word after that. And you go, what's that? Add the word because. Why? Because that's how you praise your insecurities away. I love you because. Have you ever told your wife, oh, baby, I love you because you work really hard in making sure our family is taken care of. You work endlessly and tirelessly. You wash the clothes and, and feed the kids and clean the house and, and whatever it might be, guys. Just use the word because. I love you because. I mean, it's so important, right? I can go to my wife and say, Nathalie, I love you. And she'll say, I love you too. But I need to tell her I love you because. I love you because. For my two girls, you're the best mom they could ever have. And God saw fit that out of all the girls in the world, he chose you. And you're the best grandma. Why? I love you because you are so precious with our grandbaby. I love you because, you you see my point, guys? Guys, make sure we're building each other up, that we're building each other up, that we're praising each other. We need that. We already know all the stuff we do wrong. You go, Pastor, what's your point? Listen, anyone can tear a house down. That's the easy part. But it takes a mature man and a mature woman to build it up. That's what we need to do. You need to be encouraging and building up. Guys, I'd like to, I'd like to end our time together with an illustration that I found interesting. I found it interesting because, because we're t- West Texas and we like guns and we like hunting. Right? Everybody, and I thought it was so important, right? Everybody kind of likes this. And I actually found it in Reader's Digest, but it goes something like this. He's writing, a friend is writing, and he's talking about hunting ducks and so forth and guns. And he says this, Dear Phil, he says, I used to hunt ducks with a man who had a thing about his guns. He also had a thing about my gun. He polished his with some special kind of oil, which smelled like bananas. And he'd chew me out in the blind whenever the ducks weren't flying because my gun didn't smell like bananas. In fact, my gun even had some scratches on the brown part. It also had some terrible stuff called pitting in the barrel. And he said, this is because I didn't clean it first thing when I got home after a hunt. 
Well, there were good reasons, he says, that I kept hunting with this firearm perfectionist. He was a member of the best duck lease in the river. I wasn't. He was also chairman of the board of our church. We could talk business to and fro. Now catch this. The third reason wasn't so good. He was having trouble with his wife, and I'd hoped he might be able to save the marriage. He says, but we couldn't. Finally, she gave up. They got a divorce, and it was one of those cases that would make a grown man cry. He'd sit there in his beautiful den, antelope heads, stuffed pheasants, lush white rug made from the hide of a mountain goat, a cabinet full of guns, all polished with oil and smelled like bananas. He would stand there by the case, taking them out and handling them with care, loving care. Then he would remember my gun and the way it looked. And he would take off on one of his diatribes with about the care of the guns. This never failed to shame me. I would go home determined to take my gun and clean it like I've never cleaned it before. He says, but you know what happened? When I arrived home, she would, she would be waiting for me at the door. So we would sit down on our rocking love seat, hold hands and visit. And like that, in less time than it takes to look into her eyes, I completely forgot about my noble resolve to love my gun with more devotion. The other day, he writes, I was thinking back on this. A great idea occurred to me. Finally, funny, isn't it, how we often get these brilliant thoughts too late? What happened was my banana-oiled brother would always include in his lectures at least one reference like this. I just can't understand how a man could invest so much in a gun and then let it go to pot. Then the thought came to me. Why didn't I figure out how much it cost him to get his wife? Courtship expenses, movies, flowers, dinners, gifts, postage, the wedding, all of the food she's eaten through the year, clothes she's bought, medicine. It would be a tidy sum, wouldn't it? Then I could have said to my brother, you're absolutely right. Let us now turn your brilliant observation into another thing. Isn't a man a fool to invest so much in his marriage and then let it go to pot? He sure would be, wouldn't he? And that's where he leaves. And the metaphor is guns, but guys, we can use anything that we love more and take care of more. It can be our golf clubs. Be our own bodies. And the point is, you've invested a lot in your marriage. You've invested a lot. Take care of it. Marriage isn't easy. It's not easy. But listen, at the end of the day, it's you two that are going to be standing. And the world is hard enough as it is. You don't need to be at each other's, at odds with each other. I mean, you guys are best friends. Pastor, I'm not sure if we're best friends. We need to build that friendship and you need to build that trust. And it comes through intimacy and it comes through emotional intimacy. And it, it comes from just time. And that's what the whole marriage series was about, guys, is that we could just... Work harder. Your marriage represents a bigger thing 
You go, what's that? It represents how people look at Christ and the church. But I think at the end of the day, every one of us in this room who is married says, I'm going to work harder. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to praise her insecurities away. I want to be that guy. I want to be that guy. As I mentioned last week, church, this is the final study. And here's what I would just, here's what I would just ask you real quick. Listen, I don't know where you are with Jesus, but I do know this. I know that he calls us to be his bride. He calls us to be his bride, and he does that by dying on the cross and forgiving us of our sins. And I know some of you here, you might feel like you're a million miles away from him, that you're not even close walking with him, and and you're coming to church, but... But I think deep down, every one of us wants to be married to Jesus. And you might be here this morning and you're not married to Jesus. You go, what does that mean, Pastor? You, you haven't asked him into your heart. You haven't asked him to forgive you. And, and if you were to die today, you're not sure where you would end up. And if that's you, I'd really like to pray for you. You see, in a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to say yes to Jesus. That's all you got to do is say yes. I know many of you in here have already, and I praise God for you. But maybe you're here and you're not married to Jesus. You have not given your life to him. I want to give you an opportunity to surrender once and for all. Pastor, I gave my life to Jesus when I was eight years old. Maybe you've walked away from him. Maybe he's not. He's not your everything. Maybe he's a part of your life and he's, he fits into a nice little category. But today you want to make him completely Lord and Savior. And you want to walk out of here beyond a shadow of a doubt saying, I love Jesus. So I'm going to pray right now, and then I'm just asking you to raise your hand. You go, why do I have to raise my hand, Pastor? Because when you raise your hand, God will see your heart, and I'll lead you in a simple prayer, and you can start your walk with Jesus today. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for the marriage series. We look forward to how you want to use it, God, via podcast and via radio. We trust, God, that your words were said, and I pray, God, that if I said anything that wasn't you, Lord, that um, you would remove that, that the people would only remember what you have. We thank you for Solomon, and we thank you for your word. With every eye closed and every head bowed, is there any of you that would say, Pastor, you were talking to me. I feel a million miles away from God, but I want to I wanna come home. My sins aren't forgiven, and I want to surrender my life to Jesus today. Will you... Real quick, and I'll get you out of here real quick. Will you just simply lift up your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me. All you got to do is lift your hand. I can see you. And, uh, and if you've already prayed this prayer, I got you. You've already saved. You don't have to do it again. But if you've never prayed this prayer, anyone else, just lift up your hand. Say, Pastor, pray for me. Real, let me see your hand. Father, thank you, God. We love you. And I do pray, God, there's people here that may not raise their hands, but they say, God, I need you, Jesus. I need you. And I would pray a prayer something like this. Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I'm sorry. I'm a sinner and I need you. I believe you died on the cross and you rose again on the third day. And I'm asking you now, God, to come into my heart and be my Lord, be my God, be my Savior, and be my friend. I love you, Lord. 
I choose this day to follow you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen and amen. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.